You're now tuned in to The Investor Show, where we teach simple wealth creation for the common investors with investment advisor, award-winning author, international speaker, and founder of Royal Financial Investment Group, Prince Dykes. Ladies and gentlemen, we are live back in the beautiful state of Denver, Colorado. And always, I'm your host, the Prince of Investing, Prince Dykes, coming all the way live from the beautiful state of Denver, Colorado. For the people that are catching the playback or the people that may be catching this over the airwaves, don't forget to hit the like, subscribe, comment, and share button. And drop some comments if you guys got comments about what we want to say. But as always, I don't have a lot of time, and I definitely know you guys and girls don't have a lot of time, so we're going to jump straight into it. What up, what up? It's your boy Vigo Sachi. This is The Investor Show, and you're checking in with the investor genius, Prince Dykes. Let's get it. So today we have another great episode. We're going to be talking about the 10 year anniversary of the market crash. So, you know, the last market crash we had was in 2008 and plus 2008 plus 10, 10 is 2018. So here we are in 2018. We're going to talk about, hey, what did we learn from there? Um, how we rebounded, all that great stuff that has happened, what has spurred the growth, what has uh, sprouted the growth or whatever word I'm probably using incorrectly. But what started this growth? And then again, we got to ask, you know, everything like they say, history will always what? repeat itself. So we're going to talk about uh, a lot of great things, but as always, I have to bring one of our lawyers to the show, Uncle James. You guys already know if you follow the show, you you see him plenty of time. Uh, he needs no introduction. He's a Wall Street veteran, been on Wall Street for, uh, I think, since the 70s. Um, he does Wall Street tours. Um, he was a in, in, uh, retired investment advisor for about 40 years there. And all type of great, just a wealth of knowledge. You got a little gray hair on the side. You know, people I like to hang around, learn a lot of stuff. Without further ado, let me introduce my uh, special guest today. How you doing today, James? How are you? Glad to be back, as always. Definitely. We're definitely glad to have you back. So what have you been up to? Oh, I've been, I've been, I've been thinking. Uh, the uh, 10-year anniversary of the 2008 financial crisis you know, brings up a lot of, makes you do a lot of sort of rethinking uh, and reformulating maybe things you thought. And, you know, um, I think uh, for, for one, like sometimes people, especially younger people ask me, like, what do we care about what happened 10 years ago? And uh, I mentioned this a little bit the last time I was on your show, things have a tendency to repeat themselves. So, uh, well, the next crisis may not be exactly the same. Uh, we can learn a lot uh, by studying previous crises. Um, and if we study 2008, we may, it will give you a leg up when you start to see similar signs. Now, the, the facts will be different, but kind of the, the over-speculation, the over-investment, um, the, you know, it, it's, it's, it, you start making so much money in one area that it, it doesn't pay to not be out of that area, things like that. Um, You'll see. You might see those things coming if you're more aware of it. Now, James, uh, I, I was, got a question for go you, real quick. I got to ask you this go question. Ahead. Do you think the market is overvalued right now? This is ten years, the longest running bull we've had. Do you think the market is overvalued? No. What's going on? No, not at all. Not at all. Not even close. I think the last time I was on here, I, I don't know if I was clear, but I, I, I mean, I'm. 
first of all, you know, there's some people who always argue is glass half full or half empty. I'm one of those guys that when I have a glass, I just ask for another one. I'm ready. Like just, <laughs> just keep, just keep pouring. Don't, don't stop. I'll tell you when to stop. Like, so I'm one of those. So I'm always, I'm like the, I'm like the, I was born a broker. I'm a salesman. So, you know, the stock market crashes. I'm like, buy an opportunity. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's like a minor correction. Yeah. We were down 500 points. You know, it's like, <laughs> uh, so, so, but the, the way I look at it is I, I, I think, you know, you got to look at old things. And one of the things you're going to find is if you do start to study the past with the stock market, both the good and the bad things, uh, you may see some of these things coming a little bit before other people, but you're probably going to realize, like, there's that old expression that says, you know, if you don't study the past, you're doomed to repeat it. Uh, but what you'll learn on Wall Street is that if you do study the past, you're doomed to watch everyone else repeat it. There's nothing else you could, there's nothing you could do about it. Yeah. Um, so that's one. Uh, for me, I would say, given I think we're about to leg up into another really big Super Bowl market, I, I just think I think we're going to go back into an 82 to sort of like 99 kind of market again. Um, I'm not so impressed with the moves uh, over the last 10 years, maybe more the moves in the last two years I was more impressed with. Um, but I, I still think we're just getting going. Like I think the last time I was on, or I've mentioned this before, that I feel like we're in that sort of like the late 82 cycle, like just before the market was really going to take off. And now, James, uh, we've laid a lot of groundwork. Now, one of the key, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I remember you saying oh. this before. You know, you were one of the people that you came on right before the election. And. You know, Trump has been in office now for two years, and, you know, we've known, known each other now for a couple of years, and I thought the market was going to go down. I was like, okay, you know, market's been up for eight years. It was a nice run. We got a new president. Market's about to take a, you know, a, a nice little dip, a well-deserved and due-time dip. But as you see, it, Trump has placed hedge fund managers that were very bearish in the markets out of business. What is spurring this growth? And we're at 10 years, and you're telling me that, hey, we haven't even seen anything yet. Right. Well, listen, your buddies down there, you're from Georgia originally, I think yep. I remember you saying. Yeah. Uh, your buddies at the Atlanta Fed think that GDP is going to grow at 4.7% next quarter, which is, that's starting to get like sort of third world like growth rates. That's, mm-hmm. you're starting to really whoop it up here. And I, I, I think you got to remember we had an enormous corporate tax cut. Uh, and oh, yeah. some of you, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware of price to earnings ratios. Well, if the earnings have suddenly increased 30% on every stock, I don't think the stock market is up 30% from that uh, a tax cut. I also think with uh, new renegotiated trade opportunities for U.S. businesses, um, I think that's going to be a huge boom to the economy. I, I totally agree with Mr. Trump. Well, I'm not a fan of trade wars or uh, of a lot of tariffs. I do think you have to be bold, and you re, you we've 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 negotiated for many many years, probably the last uh, probably the last forty, uh, I would say, disadvantaged trade agreements with our trading partners, and it's time to you know even up a little bit. And I think also a lot of our trading partners need to pay their end; they have to step up. Uh, they can't expect us to pay for their security in Europe. Uh, there, there's, I just think there's a lot of things going on that needed to be done. You may not like our current president. You may not like his style. You may not like what he's doing, but a lot of these things are necessary 
uh, and it's and it's and it's time. And I, I, he has kind of the personality to do it. I think I think he's in that way you know he's very much a new yorker and a new yorker has a certain i think mentality that's far different than a lot of other people from other places in the world um most new yorkers are are you know it's like a can-do attitude like it's it's not a matter of democrat republican right or left good or bad it's we need to get this done because we need to make money and like that's and it's uh, that's kind of the New York is like the hustle hustle attitude. Like we just we have to we have to do this better. We need to you know we need to we need to do things better. Um, so I think given uh, a lot of the things going on, well, there's probably going to be an awful lot of volatility, much more than it been in the previous ten years. Um, I, I think that we're we're sort of setting the stage for uh, I would say a very significant market rally, and I would not be surprised to see it you know uh, I don't know significantly higher than now if we have this conversation like five years from now we'll be lifting and you'll say the same thing I can't believe it went up this much <laughs> and a lot of your readers are going to say the same because I run into people all the time they're like I watch CNBC they say the market's going to crash it's the end of the world I'm selling everything it's it and I'm like I'm like no. I'm like I'm like that's reason to buy I'm buying it's like you tell me that I'm buying it. as long as they're negative as long as I keep reading negative stuff in the paper that makes me more and more positive every day now, um, now James I, got, I have to ask you this question too like you just said you feel as though the market is very bullish at this time and that we haven't seen anything yet. What have we learned from 2008, 2007? You know, right now we live in a very low interest rates. Interest rates are slowly starting to climb, right? Right. Uh, we've, we've been in this, this bull market. Trump just did a big tax reform. We've got tariffs. Right. we got tariffs going on, all these other great things like that. What have we learned from 2008? Are we getting to this point to where we're just getting too much euphoria and like, oh, you know, everything's going to be fine, everything is going great? What, what, what did we? What can we say? Hey, this happened in 2008, ten years ago, that we have. We must learn now to go forward. All right. Well, this is this is also this is this is the key. I have three basic takeaways that I look at 2008. The first is. Dodd-Frank, which was the overall banking regulation that was sort of installed after the crisis, um, most people would, you know, it was during the Obama administration, but it was actually worked on during Bush's, the previous administration. And I think the reality was, in some ways, Dodd-Frank was, was in some ways a failure, but I think it, it really was not meant to fix anything. It was meant to stop things from getting worse and kind of just shore everything up and kind of focus and calm everybody down and say, hey, this isn't going to get any worse. We're going to sort of put everything in suspended animation, like put it all on ice. Now, the Trump administration has come in and what have they done? They've repealed Dodd-Frank because it really didn't work. And now they're reworking and we're trying to restructure. And what I, I would say is rebuild the credibility of capital markets because most people, because of 2008, have a really low regard for Wall Street. They don't really trust the stock market, which are all bullish indicators, by the way, for buying stocks. Mm. Um, they don't really trust anybody. And Trump's the Trump administration, and maybe after him, it's going to be the same thing. We need to clean up the mess. If you notice, there's been an awful lot of fines lately. 
that have a lot to, more to do with 2008 than they do with 2018 um, you know, for big banks and things like that uh, and financial other financial institutions. This is part of cleaning up the mess from 2008, and it's going to take a long time to clean up this mess. It is a, it is a big mess. Um, then the final piece of this whole thing is because of Dodd-Frank, Wall Street was also put in suspended animation. And Wall Street has kind of been in what I would call the big sleep. And in the meantime, for the last 10 years, while well, Wall Street has kind of been sort of off, like kind of put to the side a little bit and kind of hovering and just kept with the status quo, there's all kinds of new technological innovations that have come along. I would say particularly blockchain um, is like a new technology. And I think a lot of Wall Street firms are waking up into the Trump era with the de with new deregulation and maybe a more competitive marketplace, and they're all of a sudden sitting there going, "Wow, what? How is blockchain going to affect our business? What are we going to do now? How are we going to make money? What is the Wall Street business anymore? You don't call your broker anymore. Everybody does stuff online. What does that mean for us? How do we distribute an IPO? How do we make sure we get enough shares out there? How do we run our? How do we run investment banking in the era of blockchain?" How do we trade stocks? How do we like I think all these things are starting to work and I think the business is is trying is it's almost going through a rebirth. And it's it's trying to rebuild itself. And 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 I would say a lot, a lot of things we don't know right now is because nobody on Wall Street knows either. Nobody has figured anything out yet, or, or at least they're not saying, or they're trying to figure things out. And so there's there's that's going on. So you have those three issues. Now, um, on top of this, you have this, you know, like I, I keep harping on this, but this very negative tone from the media um, about everything. And I, I, I think that as long as the media stays so negative and, and, and there's a major distrust in Wall Street and distrust in financial institutions, I, I think those are all really bullish signs now, for the market. I now, just, you brought up a, a very interesting point. Like you spoke about. Uh, blockchain. Blockchain is the technology behind Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency. You know, uh, you remember last fall, the Bitcoin went up to like 19,000, 20,000 yes. points. I mean, $20,000 yes. worth or whatnot. And now we're sitting around 6,000 every since. And you spoke about, hey, blockchain is kind of yep. coming in and reorganizing business. What do you think Bitcoin and cryptocurrency fit in all of this debacle? Well, I think that, I think that Bitcoin, I think the biggest problem with blockchain is the association with, with cryptocurrencies. I think cryptocurrencies are like a sideshow. I, I don't buy the whole thing. I, I know a lot of people are going to want to kill me, and I know the first time I was on here, I called it Bitcoin, and like, they got all mad at me. But it, like, I still think the whole thing. Blockchain is cool, though. The, the idea of having untamperable database uh, where data is all linked together uh, bridges the trust gap between you and me. And in essence, if you think about how Wall Street was created, how was Wall Street created? Wall Street was created because a guy like you was in Denver, Colorado, and owned a piece of paper that said, I owned a, you owned 100 shares of Microsoft. And a guy like me was sitting here in New Jersey um, with money, wanting to buy those shares. You didn't know if I had the money, and I didn't know if you really had the stock. So that's our problem. We have this huge trust gap. So Wall Street was created, and Wall Street and big firms like Merrill Lynch and all the through all the settlement process, 
and I'm just using them as an example, Merrill Lynch said, hey, that guy does have the 100 shares out there in Colorado, and, and the, the, well, Merrill Lynch would tell you that guy in New Jersey has enough money to buy that stock. And they would, they would connect. They would, they would connect those pieces of, pieces of paper with the money, and you would end up with the cash, and I would end up with a stock certificate. Maybe it would just be electronic in the form of an account statement, but I would end up with the and, – and that's how it's done. Now, blockchain is a way to do that almost without – with eliminating almost all the human element out of there. Mm. And blockchain is going to impact real estate. Uh, what is one of the biggest problems with mortgages? When you do title searches, title searches miss stuff. I had a closing in New York City that when they did a title search in, oh, I guess in the late 1990s, they uncovered things that they had missed the last time the place was sold in the 1960s. Wow. So suddenly you had some old debt on there from like 1947 from a bank that had been out of business for 30 years. That's got paid off but was never closed out. And we actually did, we, it, took, it took like an extra three weeks, but it got fixed. Um, and now because of blockchain, you have this, you can, you have like, you can control the titles. And, and frankly, this is one of the biggest messes left over from 2008. You have a mess with titles. You have a mess with who really is the, you know, who really holds the mortgage to certain properties. Um, you have a lot of confusion in the whole mortgage market. It's just totally, um, it's totally lost all credibility. People just don't believe anything anymore because of all the stuff that happened in 2008 um, and I think blockchain is a bridge but I think this whole cryptocurrency thing like it may work out and it might be something interesting or something to speculate with but this whole thing is just a big sideshow um, kind of almost obfuscating all the settlement the valuable uh, ability of blockchain to facilitate all kinds of settlement stock settlement real estate settlement, all those kind of things, money transfer settlements, things like that, that blockchain works really well for. And I think while we're busy talking about cryptocurrencies, which really are, you know, like I told you the first time I was on the show, what happens if the internet goes offline for six days? <laughs> what, what, yeah, where's your Bitcoin then, buddy? <laughs> let, me see, let me see you spend it. And you, really, and you really think the Federal Reserve is going to let you start your own currency. Good luck with that. I guess you've never, you've never had a run-in with the IRS or anything. You find out how they could be really mean. You'd be amazed how mean they could be. <laughs> they could do all kinds of stuff. They could go right into your bank account, take all your money, and you don't even know about it. Okay. <laughs> um, so so now, yeah, so, 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 so you, so oh. I want to get into it. That was very interesting what you were saying about uh, the cryptocurrencies. About hey, if you think the government is going to let you just start your own currency and have your own currency or whatnot, but the idea that we are in a phase now to where you know cryptocurrencies kind of, you never know. One day it can just take off. The other day it can just go down. You don't know what's going on with that uh, market right now. But what are the, you know? So I, I'm assuming James is not invested into in a cryptocurrency, we want to know since you know this is going to be a I'll, tell you a, little, I'll tell you a little story. Okay, go ahead. Using my Wall Street smarts, um, I did play around a little bit, very small, just to fool around with it because everybody was. And what I noticed was one night I went to a sort of a local dive bar, and on a Tuesday night, which would be like tonight, they have like two dollar beers. So I go there and I have a couple of beers, and there's um, it's real close to where I live, so probably I could actually walk there if I really wanted to. So if I had too much to drink, I can walk home. It's no big deal, and then just get my car in the morning. Like it, it's it's a safe place to go if I decide to drink too much. It would be a place I could get to and get back from easily, and not 
danger to anybody in the world. Um, and so I went over there and like all of a sudden I noticed that my favorite bartender who I go to uh, had a button on that said, I'm a cryptocurrency expert. Ask me any questions. <laughs> and I immediately went home and sold everything I had. <laughs> and it was about 18000 or something. It was just before it hit the high. Wow. Um, and then it peaked out and it's never gone since. And that was the old, you know, that was that, uh, uh, you know, you might have heard or I'm sure you maybe a lot of your listeners have heard that old story about, yeah, Joe Kennedy with the shoeshine guy. Actually, um, there was a, there's another guy, I think it was Bernard Baruch, who actually had this, James, he called it a, I want like you a to share. driver role. I want you to share that, that story, the shoeshine guy. The old story, the legend, now how true or not true, I'm not sure. Uh, the legend was about a month before the 1929 stock market crash, Joe Kennedy was getting his shoe shine, and the, and the shoe shine guy was very insistent in making a bunch of stock recommendations to Joe Kennedy. Kennedy went back to his office, he called his stockbroker, a guy named Charlie Hayden, and Charlie Hayden and him agreed to sell everything in Kennedy's position. They <laughs> sold out everything, and a month later, the stock market crashed, or maybe a little less than a month later, the stock market crashed. Um, wow. And around the same time, there was a gentleman named Bernard Baruch, who was sort of a famous financier. I think out of New York, most people have never heard of him. Um, and he wrote a thing called the taxi driver rule. And he had noted that his own cleaning lady in his apartment on Fifth Avenue, in his very posh apartment, every five minutes was running to her phone calling her broker. And she, he thought, well, if my cleaning lady is calling a broker all the time, I think the market's probably a little overvalued. <laughs> so he used that as his thing, and it's the same kind of idea. And I have, I, I speak that way when I mention the media all the time. I just, you know, they're just kind of the, they're like the voice of, I don't know what it is. They, they're just, they're like always wrong about everything. <laughs> oh, and it's, 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 it's mind-boggling because. Like we always say, even a broken clock is right twice a day. And a lot of these people in the media, they don't even get it right twice a day. They're never right. Like it's like it's like you got to work at it, like to be wrong that much. And wow. it's it's and and I just these are the this is the kind of stuff I do think. However, um, you might be able to draw some parallels with some of these cryptocurrencies. Before we had centralized banking like we have now, a lot of banks used to have to have their own gold and gold reserves. Um, and we used to have what they used to call a free banking system. And they did have – the banks would kind of compete against each other. And the banks that were more sound and better run uh, would attract a lot more depositors because they were better banks and the ones who had more capital to lend and things like that. Um, and so in some ways you could argue that some of these cryptocurrencies are kind of reforming that old sort of free banking system where they're actually competing against each other to establish – sort of new reserve currencies but i just i just i just think the whole thing is one big sideshow from blockchain and blockchain is where people should be focusing they should focus on the technology and all the other things that it makes it like amazingly available now okay. and, I, and i just now that you just said that hey you should be focusing in blockchain you're not a fan of cryptocurrency uh dot frank got repealed what else is James focusing on in this type of market? What, what are you What are you looking for? What is because since the market is so, people believe it. Some people believe it's overvalued. What are some nuggets, or what are some things that you can find some news in the haystack, or what are some industries you're looking forward to? Oh boy! Well, now you're now you're, now you're digging down into the, yeah, I'm digging down. So you know, I want to see people to say you know. 
Well, I have, to, I have to say there's a lot of interesting stuff to, that goes on in biotech right now. And there seems to be an enormous lag um, for like an investors uh, for when a biotech company announces a, a drug that may work and it gets disseminated to the public space. So, for example, about, ooh, I don't know, three or four months ago, um, maybe it was even longer, a company called Biogen announced uh, a bunch of trials that they did with an Alzheimer's drug that actually seemed to work exceptionally well. They put out a huge press release, and of course nothing at all happened to the stock for probably almost three months. And then all of a sudden, it gets picked up by a bunch of Wall Street analysts almost right off the press release. They announce the success of this big trial, and the stock shoots up about $72 a share in one day. Now mind you, it's like a $300 stock, so. But it, but it was a, like a huge gain in one day. But there was a big lag from when that information was available to the public. Now, biotechs are a very weird thing to trade because they don't trade on earnings. They trade on what we used to call hopey hopey. Hopey hopey. In other words, right. In other words, we hope this thing is going to work out. And if it doesn't, we're dead. <laughs> because if it doesn't work out, you lose all your money. So, yeah. so it's a very – and generally, you're like a chicken with an egg on these things. You buy them and you just sit on it and you hope and you hope. And you hope. Now, and then they make an announcement, and if uh, it works, the stock shoots up. And usually, if you're smart, you sell it right away. Now, I have and, a question, uh, James. That's, we've we seen, we seen, uh, we seen this exact same thing happen right now with a company called Tilray. Tilray is this marijuana company from, you okay. know, it's 52, it's a 52 week uh, um, high and low. It's like 1,500%. Things up 1,500%. But when I look at the finances of this company, it has no P.E. ratio, no earnings. Right. It's still losing money. Why is this stock trading up to 150 bucks? Because the, right now there's this, for one, uh, countries like Canada, our northern neighbor, I think have somewhat legalized uh, uh, smoking marijuana to a, under a, a, to a certain degree. Uh, a lot of states, including New Jersey, are talking about legalizing it because they want to tax it. Um, and a lot of people are looking, this is the beginning of a new industry. Um, the big problem I have with all this is, uh, is at the moment, the federal government still seems to be predominantly against this idea. Um, and, I'm, and I'm still not sure how this all is going to work. Um, I do think it could turn into something just like the tobacco business and do the same thing. And they package marijuana, you buy a pack of know marijuana cigarettes or whatever um the flip the downside is once again we are smoking something and we've been told that smoking things are no good for us for a long time um and i i think you know obviously you're in colorado so colorado is like sort of on the cutting edge of this stuff they kind of legalized it for a while and it's become a really big business and they've actually the state is a lot of the states like this because they think they're going to get a lot of new tax revenues out of it. So I do think that's an interesting place. Um, right now, I would bet the business is very fragmented and also because it's a very um, it's a it's a thing. You know, I hate to say it, but the drug business is a dangerous business. And if you are even in a place like Colorado and you have some you know, pot field in your backyard and you're about to uh, sort of pick up 
you know, and collect your, you know, cut your, you know, your plants, like bringing your crop, uh, you could be robbed by a bunch of guys with machine guns that night and they could rob it all from you. Or, or if you sell it all, they can stick you up and take all the cash from you because you have a lot of problems now because a lot of banks, for example, um, don't want to, uh, extend credit or let you open bank accounts because you're, uh, you're a quote unquote drug dealer and you have, you have a lot of uh, sort of choke points in the system yet. Okay. And I think a lot of that stuff, like if banks aren't going to let a, a, a sort of a marijuana farm open a bank account, I'm not really sure how an investor is going to make money off that. Like it, 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 there, there needs to be a lot of the, the infrastructure to handle this business yet. It, it doesn't seem to be in place for whatever reason, whether it's still a leftover from 2008, which wouldn't surprise me. Um, or it's just this idea that the federal government still predominantly feels this is a drug, this is illegal, and it's going to stay that way. Wow. Um, I'd say our current president, coming from New York City, is probably going to be far more open-minded about this than, well, he has, I haven't really heard him say too much on the issue. Uh, he, well, he's very much against drugs and drinking and stuff like that, because that's, that's just his personal thing. Um, He's, uh, I, I don't think he's against it, but he doesn't partake himself. Uh, he, you know, coming from New York City, which is kind of a very sort of socially libertarian place where people kind of, you know, go there to live alternative lifestyles, let's just say, uh, for lack of a, you know, a better word. Um, I, 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 I would think that he might, you know, as a business person, he may say you see some huge opportunities in this thing. Uh, however, his current attorney general is kind of dead set against it. And the problem I have, too, is you have this enormous opioid crisis right now in the United States. You have a massive amount of drug use, which is now it's a crisis now because it's spilled out into the suburbs. When it used to just be in the inner cities, you know, then it was a different story. But now it's like everywhere um, and it's affecting a lot of people. And I think. A lot of people are looking at this and saying, yeah, tax revenue is great, but here we are. We have all these kids on drugs already. We're going we're gonna to allow another drug to be like legal. Like, wow. how is that going to help anybody? That, it just seems to me like it's just going to make things even worse than they already are. But, you know, maybe not. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of weird arguments going on now because, you know, a lot of people will point at prohibition and go, look, because of prohibition, that's how organized crime got very wealthy because okay. they sold booze when no one else would sell it. Well, and, and so – Go ahead. Before we, before, because we got to get out of here. We run out of time again. You know, time flies when we have fun. But absolutely, from everything that we we, can, we we covered, you know, we covered about, uh, you know, the Dodd Frank, how Dodd Frank got repealed. How James was saying, hey, I think we haven't even seen anything with the bull market. Also talking about uh, the biotech industry, the crypto industry, the blockchain, and the problems we can solve, and the ways we can invest, and the lessons we learned from 2010. Is there anything of uh, what do you want to leave people with before we get out of here? Oh, I, I again, once again, uh, and I've harped on this the last time I was on the show quite a bit. Make a plan, stick with it. The world's not going to end tomorrow. I mean, it might, but chances <laughs> of that happening are close to nothing. Just like I said the last time I was on, you could die tomorrow. Just why some weird thing could happen. But you can't live your life like thinking you're going to die tomorrow. you got to just live your life, right? And I think the same goes for most people for investing. For most novice investors, make a plan, put so much away, and just do it. And don't worry about all this other stuff. 
and just ride it. And be grateful if you live during a Super Bowl market or if you get a second chance at it, which I think we're going to have here. Um, it's, it's like just be grateful when it happens. Don't think you made a lot of money because you're smart. It's just the, it was a really good marketing. And the same when you don't make a lot of money. It's not because you're dumb. It's just because sometimes the market just stinks. And it's like, uh, and it, it's just, it's just, you know, just, just get out there and do it. Okay. Now, James, what do you want to leave people? You know, I know you do your, uh, you do a lot of tours on Wall Street as well. Tell people there in New York City, you know, about you, what you're doing up there in New York on Wall Street. Oh, yeah. I, I do, um, you know, I worked in the financial district for way too long. And <laughs> I, and a lot of my friends who know me from the business always go, yeah, you're a great tour guide because you've been fired from every single building down there. Like, it's... <laughs> You know, that's how they know me. They know I've gotten kicked out of every building on Wall Street and all around there on Broad Street and, and Broadway and all those buildings, right? So um, I would say if you're in New York and you have a chance, we run. I, I work for a company called Wall Street Experience. It's a lot of fun. I love doing the tours. It's a way for me to share a lot of this information that I know from all these years. Uh, we do one on the financial crisis from 2008 and another one which is kind of like a short, fun one called uh, the Wall Street Insider Tour. And it's just kind of a lot of background about how Wall Street started, where it all came from, um, the whole attitude down there. Um, and I think that those of you who are, I, I think for somebody who wants to really learn about the business, it's a great first step to just go down there and take the tour and see where Goldman Sachs is and where, you know, where the old Lehman Brothers headquarters was and, and where this all came from and who Robert Fulton is and where more the house of, you know, what about JP Morgan and what, like learn about all these things. I, I, I really think it would, it's something you don't get enough of in school. And this is hands on because you're right there. You can see the building. You can touch it with your own hands. You can see Alexander Hamilton's grave. You can go to Trinity Church, which is uh, in the movie National Treasure. You can like do all those kind of things. And it's all right downtown. And it's, it's very exciting. And I would invite anybody who's in the city um, to come down, even if finance isn't your main thing, you just want to, you know, see a different part of New York. It's really, we make it, I make it a lot of fun, uh, and it's a great tour. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there we go. We have it. My name is Prince Dykes. This is the Prince of Investing Show. As always, it's great to hear from uh, James. But until the next video, podcast, cartoon, book, or whatever else crazy you see me do crazy around the globe, peace, be safe, I'm out, and thank you. I'm <laughs> going